Welcome to the First Baptist Church of Lavernia Sermon Podcast. If you have any questions about what you hear, or if you would like to speak with one of our pastors, you can find all of our contact information at www.fbclv.com. So we think it's a great idea, since this is an outdoor service, we're going to go back to revival days where they had tents, and Chad told me I had to preach at least three hours. Half of y'all got ready to leave, the other half were excited. We won't be here too long, I promise. One of the discussions that my wife and I have quite often, and maybe you have this discussion in your household too, it's a question that is asked, seems like daily. It's a proverbial question that seems to be one of the hardiest, hardest parts of adulting in life. Here's the question. What are we going to have for dinner? It seems like we ask that question every single day. And then we have these other people that live with us called kids, and they always expect us to cook something else so they have something to eat. So we try to be intentional, and we try to meal plan. So the other day we went and we bought some hamburger meat. We were going to cook it on Monday evening. And then Monday we ended up not being home, and Tuesday we weren't home, and then Wednesday we weren't home. So by Thursday I said, we need to get that meat, and we got to cook it. It's been in the fridge for a couple days. And so we pulled the meat out of the fridge, and to me it looked a little funny. It wasn't quite as pink or red had a little bit of gray coloring to it, and maybe it was totally fine, but when I looked at it, I showed it to my wife, and I go, it looks kind of funny to me. Does it look funny to you? She's like, yeah, it looks kind of funny. Well, what should we do with it? Because we can't throw it away. It's like two pounds of meat. That's like $84. I go, this is what we'll do. I've heard that no germs can survive through freezing cold temperatures, so we'll just freeze it and then whatever bad might be in there, it will die in the freezer, and then we'll be safe to cook it another day. And she goes, okay, that's a good plan. But I know in my heart we're never going to eat that meat. It's going to be in that freezer for the rest of our lives. Because I'll always have in the back of my mind, if I eat that, I will certainly die. It has some type of infectious disease. It has something terrible wrong with it. And it's probably just fine. You're like, I've had hamburger meat in my fridge for three months and ate it before. It's probably okay. But there's still something inside of you go, but what if? What if there's something not okay with it and we eat it? Is it worth the risk to get sick? We're getting ready to finish up this series called Worth the Risk, and so we have it today and then next Sunday, and then we begin a new series. And so today I invite you, if you have your Bibles or you have your phones and you want to read the Scriptures along with us, we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 4 today, a very brief passage, and we're going to look at Elisha's example for us and what it means to take a chance, step out in faith, because it's always worth the risk. 2 Kings chapter 4. One through seven. First, we see that there is a personal problem. I saw this picture the other day, and it was so funny because it reminds me of my childhood. So I grew up in the days when going to Pizza Hut was super cool. And so it was a picture of a little kid. He's wearing like a tie-dye shirt, acid wash jeans. This is probably in the late 80s. And it says, remember the days when you'd go to Pizza Hut and you'd get to play Galaga and then you would put the quarter in the jukebox or a dime, and you'd play your favorite songs, and then you'd go sit down at the table, and they'd bring out your piping hot personal pan pizza and that little black iron skillet, and it was 749 degrees. He goes, those were the days 
that we lived in royalty. And it's true, when I was a kid, that was some of the best times of your life, and I always loved the personal pan pizza, because as a kid, I was even more particular of eating as I am today. And one of the things that I couldn't stand was vegetables on my pizza. And whenever you had groups, people, they'd be like, oh, let's get some onions on there and let's put something weird and strange. I don't want none of that. I just wanted pepperoni. So if I had a personal pan pizza, it's just mine. I can eat it slow. I can eat it fast. I can eat the pizza part first. I can eat the crust part first. I can do whatever I want to because this pizza is mine and it's just mine. And sometimes we like for things in our life to just be ours. And we want to be able to say, this is just for me. This is mine. It's nobody else's. I don't have to share. I don't have to let go of it. I can control it. I can do what I want. This is just mine. And too often we treat our problems that same way. We say, this is just my problem. It's nobody else's. Nobody gets to help. Nobody gets to say anything. And there's times that we have problems that we need help, but we have to ask. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. So in this day and time, if you owed a debt to someone, it was legal. They could come and they could take you into slavery until you worked off your debt. So this poor woman has lost her husband. The creditors have come. And now they say, we're going to take your two boys and we're going to put them into slavery until your debt has been worked off. She cries out to Elisha. He's a prophet of the Lord. And he's a servant in the community and she asked for help. Verse 2. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Way to go, Elisha. Thanks for being a man of God with great answers. Good sir who works for the Lord. My husband has died. They're about to take my kids away. I need some help. What do you want me to do? And that's not the attitude that we should read here because it's what he says after that. Because if you come to me with a problem and I go, what do you want me to do about it? That sounds very uncaring, very unloving, and very unchristlike. But the way he says it is more so, what shall I do for you? Almost asking a question, saying, what can I do for you in this moment to help you? He's thinking it through. Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except for a jar of oil. So she says, this is what I have. Only one thing, I am poor, I don't have very much. But I do have a small jar of oil. And so then Elisha gives her a premium plan. Verse 3. Then he said, I want you to go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Okay, the creditor has come. He's going to take her kids away. She has a debt she cannot pay. What do you have that we can work with here? I got this little jar of oil. Here's the plan. Go to all your neighbors and ask them, will you give me any empty containers, maybe like these here, a bowl, a jug, an igloo. Give me all the empty containers that you have. And he says, and don't just get one or two. Get as many as you can. Now, in this moment, this makes no sense whatsoever. I am broke, and I am hungry, and I am hopeless, and my kids are about to be taken away, and you want me to go get a bunch of empty containers. I need some full containers, not some empty ones, and yet in this moment, she is obedient because she listens 
to this man of God. Verse four, then go in, shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all the vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him. She shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. And I can just see her when she gets this message, go get all these things, and then you're going to take your little bottle of oil, and you're going to start to pour it into these containers. And then as one is full, you pour into the next one. As the next one is full, you pour into it. And in her mind, we don't know what she's thinking. It never tells us. But this would almost be like when Jesus tells the disciples, just row out a little bit. Throw your net out there and see what happens. And they're going, there's no fish out there. We know better. We know there's no fish out there. But they did it because Jesus asked them to. I want you to take your little bottle of oil, and I want you to start to pour it into these containers. And as one is full, then you go to the next container. She's going, what are you talking about? This little bottle of oil, I can put one drop maybe in each container, but I'm not going to be able to fill them up. I only have a tiny little bit. And then we see a promised provision, verse 6. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, go, sell the oil, pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. She begins to pour out of this little bottle in each container as she fills it up. She fills up another one. She fills up another one. And I think about how people say the Energizer Bunny keeps on going and going and going. Or somebody gives you a gift. You say, that's the gift that keeps on giving. I can only imagine her telling her sons, you're not going to believe this. This bottle of oil is a bottle of oil that just keeps on pouring. And no matter how big the container, it never runs out. But at the moment they were out of jars, that's the moment the oil stopped flowing. I understand very clearly this is probably one of the most distracting places you have ever been in your life. The wind is blowing. I think it's sprinkling a little bit, which you may be concerned about. I think it's fantastic because it feels really good. There's cars driving by. There's kids playing. There's going to be the great smell of hamburgers flowing from the smoke towards you. But give me just a minute and listen to these four things that I think God wants you to hear today from this story. Number one, do not face your problems alone. Here was this woman. Her husband had died. Her kids are about to be enslaved. She had no hope, no help, no resources. She didn't know what to do, and so she had the bravery to cry out for help. And there is somebody here today who has been fighting a battle for too long, and you've been fighting it all by yourself. If you look around the people that are sitting here today, these are not just church members. These are not just hamburger eaters. These are not just folks that said, finally, we get to go outside. This is your family. And when you have a problem, do you know what that means? That means they have a problem. Because when one of us suffers, we all suffer. One of us rejoices. We all rejoice. And there's somebody here who has been either too ashamed too afraid, too hurt, or maybe just too scared or too stubborn to ask somebody for help. Ask one of our pastors, ask one of our staff members, ask one of our deacons, ask one of our church members to help you, and I promise they will. You're not supposed to go through this alone. 
Number two, never limit what God can do. If I have a small bottle of oil and he tells me to get all the containers I can find, that makes no human sense to me whatsoever. I don't have any idea what the plan is or how God prepares me to do it or what he's going to provide, but I just have to trust him knowing that whatever his plan is is better than my plan. Me personally, I've never had God tell me to get empty containers and then fill them up with oil and he's going to provide. But let me tell you one thing we do all have in common. As Zach mentioned, over 20 years ago, God led our church to purchase this property. I believe with all of my heart, we're going to build a campus on this land. But I'll tell you what we don't have. We don't have enough money to build that campus. And do you know where that money is going to come from? Me neither. I have no idea where it's going to come from. We probably have about a third of what we need to build this campus, but I know without a shadow of a doubt that God's going to build it, so it's not my question to figure out where that money's going to come from. It's my assignment to trust that God's going to make it happen. It's the Lord's vision. It's the Lord's building. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Tomorrow, somebody might write us a check for $20 million. We have no worries then. It may take every dime and struggle and miracle that we can take, but it's not a God-sized campus. I mean, it's not a man-sized campus. It's a God-sized campus. It's not a man-sized dream. It's a God-sized dream. And so who are we to limit what God's going to do for us on this land? We don't. What does God want to do in your life that you keep saying, Lord, that's just not possible? On paper, it's not possible for us to build this campus, but God's going to make it happen. What's going on in your life that God keeps saying, I want to show you what I can do, but you have to trust me first. Number three, God uses what we have. What do you have, woman? What do you have that we can use? I got this little bitty bottle of oil, and that's it. God doesn't need what you have. He doesn't need your gifts. God doesn't need your finances. God doesn't need your resources. The widow says, I don't have much. And Elisha says, that's okay. We don't need much. Because God takes what we have, then he multiplies it. Pastor Ed Newton says, God does not need your ability. God needs your availability. And God just needs you to be in the place to say, whatever I have, God, you gave to me in the first place, so it's already yours, and I'll hold nothing back from you. And then when we give it to God, we see that it multiplies, and it pours, and it flows, and God keeps giving until we have no more need. The last thing we have to know, God always provides. Do you notice the oil kept flowing? until it didn't need to flow anymore. God doesn't leave us short. He doesn't overflow us if we don't need it. He gives us just what we need, when we need it, how we need it, and he's always there at the right time. The widow says, here's what I have, and God did a miracle. The young boy said, I got a couple pieces of fish and a couple pieces of bread, and God fed 15,000. Moses says, I can't do this on my own, and God goes, hey, what do you have? I got a stick. Okay, well, let me show you what you can do with a stick. God doesn't need you to have great things. God needs you to have great faith. He just needs you to trust him. What is it in your life that you're holding back telling God that he can't use? What way are you asking God to provide, but you don't really trust that he can? 
Do you have a bill and you don't know how to pay it? Do you have a problem? You don't know how to fix it. Maybe you have a diagnosis and there's no cure for it. Maybe you have a pain and there's no relief. You have a fear that you can't overcome. Hear me, God always provides for his children. It may not be in the way that you ask, but it'll be in exactly what you need. Years ago, I saw a poem that said that Christians are a lot like pumpkins. And it said, God picks us out of the patch. He cleans us all up. He scoops out all the bad seeds of doubt and greed and sin and hatefulness. He puts a new smile on our face, and then he puts his light inside of us so that we can shine. And maybe today you feel like an old, dirty pumpkin with some bad seeds in your heart. The truth is, aren't we all just some bad, dirty pumpkins with some seeds in our heart that need to be removed. I pray that every pumpkin you see in the next few months would remind you that you are not alone. Let the other pumpkins help you stay close to your patch. Don't limit what God can do because you're just a pumpkin. If Walt Disney can take a pumpkin and turn it into a carriage, just think what God can do when you trust him. God wants to put a smile on your face, and he wants to put a light in your life that will shine for all to see, but you have to trust him. And if you do, I promise it's worth the risk. Lord, today this is what we pray. That you would speak to our hearts and speak to our minds about this simple truth. that in this story of the widow who had lost so much, she had the courage to ask for help. God, someone here today needs some help so desperately. Would you give them the courage and the strength to know they are not alone, but instead they are loved and supported and cared for? God, there's someone here today that's been giving you a big ask, but they doubt that you can do it. God, would you remind us that we have to have small steps of faith sometimes before we see the big work being done? God, maybe others say, I only have such a little, just a small amount. God, remind us that you can take what we have and you can do above and abundantly more than we could ever even imagine but we have to trust you as our provider. Lord, maybe someone here today just needs to be reminded that you chose them. Out of all the pumpkins in the world, you chose them to make them exactly as they are, to love them how they are, to forgive them and call them your own that we have all been adopted as sons and daughters to the kingdom. Maybe someone feels like they just need to be washed. I pray they know today there's nothing like a washing that comes from the blood of Jesus. Maybe someone has seeds within them of hatred, anger, unforgiveness, doubt, jealousy, pain, rage, depression, addiction. 
And today, God, they need you to scoop all those seeds out and throw them away, never to return. Maybe there's someone who just needs a smile put back on their face because they've forgotten what they have to be thankful for. Or there's someone who's been living in the darkness and they've not been shining bright for you. God, we know that in any circumstance, in any place, at any time, there might be someone who needs to be saved. If there's one here today, Lord, who's never heard the good news of the gospel, then let them hear it. God, the Father in heaven above, loved us a sinful, dirty, bad seed-filled pumpkin people enough to send his one and only son to live in the flesh, to live a perfect life, to die a sinner's death on a cross, to pay the price for our failures that we might be forgiven. And when we confess with our mouth that we believe that Jesus is your son, that he died for us, and we ask him to forgive us of our sins, then, Lord, we will be saved forever. God, if there's someone here today who doesn't know your love, would you knock on their heart's door as loud as can be and let today be the day of their salvation? For others, God, if they know you and they've been walking with you, or even if they haven't, God, give them the conviction to know what they need to do and how they need to change, to stop limiting and start trusting, to stop living in the darkness and shine in the light, to stop doubting and believe. Lord, we pray all this in the power of Jesus' name. Amen.